Hello, and welcome once again to The Dice Are Screaming. Pitiable whale. Yes, it's Tuesday at The Dice Are Screaming. It's good to see you all again, or rather just, you know, talk to you all again. Uh, <laughs> today, we're going a little meta, and we're talking delegation of authority. Um, and obviously we're biased on the subject because as two people who have DM'd, um, we are really familiar with the amount of homework that goes into it. Oh yeah. DMing is a big task and, you know, besides world creator and, you know, primary motivator of the game world, you're literally in charge of everything from stable hands to archmages. You are the principal authority of the game, and a lot falls on your shoulder. You're the one who designs everything, who adjudicates the rules as well, as keeps track of notes on, and delegates treasure and other things like that. So it's really a big task and a big hat to wear. And a lot of times, as gone through the uh, OSR podcast, uh, note-taking has been uh, going through, so we thought we'd follow through with some notes, primarily because... Note-taking is kind of overlooked. It's kind of a thankless task. And one of the things you can do to help with your note-taking is delegate authority. Yeah, we're going to... We're, we're taking a note from C. Thorin here, uh, you know, over at uh, Playing It Wrong. Yep. Who, you know, nailed it in that note-taking is actually, you know, like, it's, it's the unsung hero of oh, yeah. the DM's life. Uh, and it is a pain in the butt for most of us. I mean... It's not really what we got into the DM slot to do. Uh, so it, it's just one of those things where when you pick up the mantle, uh, you accept the cost. Yeah. It's a lot about what you do in the campaign. And, you know, to be able to have that veneer of believability and accountability, you have to have notes. You know, not just timekeeping, which is also considerable which you do right at the table during play, but also like things like, well, keeping track of potions and treasure that they pick up that haven't identified and they just decide to quaff that unknown potion at the right time, hoping, of course, that it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, that happens. So, you know, in order to be able to adjudicate that authoritatively, you have to know what that potion was. And sometimes scrambling through your notes can break the play and all that. Chuck Doran had a great idea. Play some notes in envelopes with a description on the outside and what the contents were on the inside. Yeah, I thought idea. that was an awesome prop event thing there. Like, you know, behold, here is your unknown potion. You will know what the contents of this are when you actually identify it. And then you get to open the envelope. Yep. Or just drink it. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you go through the process of trying to determine what type of potion it is, only then may you open the envelope. Uh, and it gives a nice permanent... Reminder, you know, that like, boom, this is on the table, you have it, it's your responsibility now. Yep. Uh, so in that vein, we're going to talk about uh, how you can delegate other forms of authority to make your note-keeping tasks easier as you go through the game. Yeah, not to mention splicing in some new tech uh, that is available to us in the, the age of the interwebs and the smartphone. Uh, <clears throat> It, obviously, devices are only as clever as their users, so, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, there are still inherent dangers. But uh, point one would be uh, the treasure keeping, which is a facet of pretty much every game. 
uh, unless stuff is divvied up on the spot and people carry it individually, uh, lay their claim to it, and then leave the rest behind, there's usually some stuff in a kind of party kitty, or collections of unidentified or as yet unsold things that are just going to be transformed into cash. Uh, and it's not uncommon, this one is not unusual in any way, uh, to have somebody in the party acting as the treasure keeper. Uh, the suggestion we were going to throw at you uh, out there is coordination between your treasure keeper and your DM, because the number one thing we've run into over years is somebody lost the sheet. Oh, boy. Uh, and, you know, we're old school DMs, so, oh, no sheet, no treasure. <laughs> yeah, the break, kid. And mm -hmm. you learn to hang on to that again, you know. <laughs> right, and so having the one person in the party take care of the treasure is nice, but if they don't show up for a session or, you know, they lost their notes, you know, dog ate it, uh, you know, you're kind of out, and then you're forced to go back and look through all those previous adventures that you ran and try to figure out what they had. And I suggest once per session, take a smartphone, uh, get a nice clear picture of the treasure sheet and, you know, forward that to your DM right there on the spot right before you pack up and take off. End of every session, photograph the updated treasure sheet week by week, month by month, whatever the date is, uh, and you've always got a backup copy. Right. Uh, as long as you've got a DM, you've got a copy of your treasure. Uh, it's just a nice way to take the responsibility uh, off of something as fragile as paper and pencil. Yeah. Uh, and converting it to digital media can, you know, whatever format you choose, you know, you can even just go through and transcribe it yourself. But again, that adds to a chunk of time that you devote in keeping your game running. But the idea is that if you have another player helping you out, that's all better. And it makes everything run a lot smoother, too, because then they can just talk amongst themselves rather than pestering you when you're trying to determine if the dragon is going to show up and burn down their town that they're staying in. <laughs> and that brings us to another point where you can actually vest your players. Uh, selecting a party caller, mm. uh, a person who holds the final responsibility for speaking on behalf of the party. So Wait, did you really say that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that what you really said in front of the Duke? Uh, mm. oh. Yeah, you, you you called him a hoser in his own hall surrounded by yeah, his Yeah, let's knights. go talk to the hoser. I mean, the Duke runs <laughs> shithole, you know? Yeah, that's not going to go over well. But then the DM's like, you really called his town a shithole? Well, uh... Can't believe we got to spend all day talking to Lord Doucheworthy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, so having a caller... <laughs> kind of helps to keep that table chatter down, the banter that goes on. Yeah, they can work it out amongst themselves, get their table banter out, and then the party caller, the spokesperson, uh, you know, is the, the final arbiter of what is stated by the party. Uh, and that, that can reduce some unnecessary casualties or social consequences. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy, you wish you'd had a party caller that uh, time I shot my mouth off in uh, Lost Caverns of Sacant. Yeah, I, know. I sure did. <laughs> so, I was playing a fighter with eight intelligence. I wish I knew what to wish for. Yeah, yeah, the slap her on the table. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, things happen. Um, on the other hand... I got my wish. Uh, I... I was instructed that I instantly understood that I uh, 
should have wished for a way out of the cavern trap created by the Deo. Uh, and that, had I not wasted the wish, uh, the party would have been a lot happier with me. So, hey, wish granted! Yeah. <laughs> Learning experience, too, but, uh, yeah. But that was a great party caller moment. And, you know, honestly, measure your players. You know, just size them up. Figure out who exercises this responsibly. Uh, and if there is nobody who exercises it responsibly, maybe it's not a great call for that particular table. But it's still a good idea, and who knows? Maybe if you, you know, like get somebody in that seat, they'll start taking it seriously. Right. Uh, you never know until you test them. Right. So, and, and like I said, it, on the other hand, it can also be, to some people, uh, stifling. Certain people like to ham it up. That's a good person to give it to. But other people feel sometimes that it may... Uh, give too much spotlight to one character all the time. So sometimes maybe spread it around. But, uh, you know, usually your party is comprised of people who have somewhat mature personalities and can... What, not ours? Yeah, authoritatively <laughs> dole out <laughs> responsibility. Yeah, but you're settled with me. Oh, so. well, I, <laughs> I've long ago accepted this as part of my penance for some past life and or sin that I've yet to come to terms with. So, you know, that's what we do, is we just basically deal with what's in front of us. Stoically. <laughs> we do the best we can. Constructively and, well, with a lot of humor. And... You know, the, the big thing about uh, party callers is it's really fallen out of favor since first edition. I've noticed that uh, they moved away from it because some people would lord the position of party caller as, I'm the party leader, and that's not at all how it really works. It um, is a cooperative experience, and pretty much, you know, you have a diverse set of characters, from paladins to thieves. Yeah, and you can also nerf a party caller concept as uh, something used for emergency circumstances only, um, like a, a clause that is invoked by the team. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we invoke party caller rules, you know, and then just for that scenario, uh, like riddling, riddled by the Sphinx, yeah. um, you do not want everybody blurting out answers at once. Uh, that's a moment where you can invoke it as a concept, uh, use it for that scenario only, and then return to normal immediately afterwards. Uh, right. That that sidesteps the whole, they're the party boss 24-7 crap, because, you know, that's not fair to everybody else either. You yeah, know, some people handle it responsibly and others don't, and that's the whole thing. Just knowing your group, you've got a big ham, and they just like to hog the spotlight all the time and oh. use their position inappropriately, then, yeah, it's time to kind of, Drag it down a little bit and say, hey, you know, uh, there's only certain times when the party decides that there's one caller. Needless to say, I have never once been the party caller. <laughs> All not true. You've done, you've done it a couple times. But I have been the note taker. I have been the map monkey. Ah, God, I, I, I wasn't going to use that term and I forgot. Oh, well, yeah. Look, being the map keeper and map maker in an adventure is actually an honorable task. But it was oftentimes seen at game tables a long time ago as an onerous duty. Uh, something that you really, you know, you, somebody more trustworthy, uh, you know, like the party rogue is not going to be allowed to keep the treasure sheet. Uh, Talk about the fox garden hen house. Yeah, yeah, that was one that you really didn't want. Uh, and so, you know, somebody would be handed off like, okay, and your task in this game will be 
map duty. And like, ah, jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh, just as we go into the non-Euclidean uh, labyrinth of the Wraith Lord Monfear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Minotaur Mace, might as well just consign yourself to the seventh layer of hell. You're in it. <laughs> yeah, I just put a giant question mark in the center of the map, uh, leading from the passage uh, that we just stepped out of, and be like, then we have entered Crazy Place, and then I'll pick back up again when we find an exit. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy town. Now entering. Although, worth noting, I haven't had a character in 20 years who hasn't traveled with at least one piece of chalk on their person. Oh, there you go. Just throwing it out there. Uh, <laughs> you'd be surprised by the things that are handy in an adventuring scenario. Um, adjudication. That was the, the last duty we were going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, um, having a player look up rules while you're gaming, of course, we've covered... Yeah, we uh, mentioned that in GM prep. Yeah, but uh, that can never be underplayed, it says. especially during uh, rules-intensive games where some of the rules may be a little bit more esoteric. And I don't want to say hard because no rule is really hard. It's just learning how to app what its applications are, what its limits are. That's it is, like with spells or any other part of the game that tends to vary from time to time. But, uh, you know, having a person look up a spell, if another person's working real hard and rolling the dice or whatever it is, you know, those are chores that can be divvied up and help make your experience of running the game a lot smoother. Yeah, if you've got a player uh, and their strong suit is game mechanics, uh, and, you know, we're lucky enough to have a couple uh, who are not just competent, but exceptionally competent. They really do their homework uh, they know the material, and they're, you know, extremely scrupulous about being honest whether something works for them or not. Uh, you know, they're not just looking for advantage like, oh, sure, I'll adjudicate that. Yeah, yeah. let me let me iron out the... Guess what? I'm doing 90 points of damage this round. You know, no, no, no. Uh, we don't have anybody like that, so it's mostly pure luck. So we can do handoffs all the time, uh, like... Hey, will you pop the spell manual and pull the definition on that for me? And that handoff of responsibility is no affront to a DM. When you are trying to run a game and keep it moving in a linear direction, uh, the pressure is on, you've got a deadline tonight, and you want to get X amount accomplished, uh, this is one of those things that uh, no shame, no pain, you can hand off a little something and... Yeah. It, it takes nothing away from you and helps the game flow evenly. Yeah, it really helps, and it, most importantly, it doesn't detract from anything else. It doesn't make you any less of the main arbiter, and it doesn't diminish your authority at the table. It just helps the game run smoother, and that's the whole thing. But I think most modern games, and I say modern, anything roughly after about 95, I consider roughly in the modern era when we talk about the dreaded storyteller games, so you're telling a story and you're putting it out there. You know, you don't want, when you're adjudicating a rule or something like that, you don't want that to come up when you're narrating. And, you know, you want that to go smoothly. That's what it helps with. But also remember that there is a story in every game if you look for it. So I kind of think that people who rail on storyteller games are a little shrill at times. I think that uh, I've always entered the game 
from a chance that I'm telling a story like in Lord of the Rings or even a personal narration of some of the tales of Conan or other sword and sorcery fiction, like River of the Dancing Gods. Oh, Jack L. Chalker. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Which, he was... Boy, did that get weird, like, five novels in. Yeah, it sure did. But the intro was really good. But, hey, you know... Oh, those first few... Like, the first three books were hilarious, amazing, and fun all at the same time. Yeah, they were very evocative and helped you narrate from a personal point of view outside the main character. Big story arcs. Yes, and that is what it's about, is that you're transcending the mundane and going into the realm of the fantastic, and these roles all just help you kind of tell that story. But uh, Yeah, here at the Dicer Screaming, I can at least state that, uh, you know, as far as the two of us go, despite being old-school gamers uh, whose, you know, signal experiences were, like, Basic and expert set, and then uh, you know advanced D and D. Those were our core founding experiences, but they were not the end all and be all, nor are they the limits of our imagination. It, that was not where the the game did not stop with one system. Right. Um, you know, we just ran the gamut, uh, and there was very much at that early table uh, 25, 30 years ago, thirty. Plus years. Oh my gosh. Don't think back on it. Just yeah. go with it. <laughs> yeah, suddenly remember just how old I am. Uh, oh boy. You know, I, I wanted to say 20 or 30 years, and I was like, 30. Excuse us as years. we slip into an existential crisis for the moment. Yeah, I I suddenly feel the need for a shiny red sports car and a, and a younger spouse. Holy crap. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but oh. <laughs> the most important thing is that when you tell a story through a game, you know, even if you're just telling the story of guys going into a hole in the ground and killing a bunch of monsters, there's still a story to be told. Make it fun. Don't uh, let the rules get too far in your way. And that's what I mean by modern games. Is they started to put rules more to the secondary aspect of it. And that's where I think they've always belonged. Is that rules are there. Yes, you obey them. And they're there to set limits and guidelines. But they are guidelines. And if you don't like a rule, change it. Move it along. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to say work with your players on that one. If you are undertaking a major rule change, uh, game balance is an essential quality of all games. And, you know, the ability to adjudicate actions in a way that is fairly reasonable uh, is essential. So... When you alter a rule, and you can, you can alter anything structurally that you please. And the only real question is, is it going to work out well or not? Is this going to create, like, weird moments where, like, literally there's no way they can fail, no matter how ridiculous this is. Or, there's almost no way they can succeed. Uh, and the odds are totally against them, even on this typical household task. I'm sorry, Bob, you uh, killed yourself while attempting to light a campfire. Oh, Thank you, Rollmaster. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Burn! Uh, Three-player characters' deaths with lighting a campfire. Um, well, <laughs> but we digress on that. You know, it goes back to adjudication, and consistency is the main watchword you want. Just as long as you're fair and you communicate efficiently what you're changing and why, most players don't really care. For the most part, I'm pretty much orthodox. I keep as much uh, close to the rules as I can. They're there for a reason. If there's something I really don't agree with, I have no problems changing it. But for me, the story that the players are telling, if the rules get in the way of that, sometimes I will cast them aside. But other times, you know, 
Uh, just because a guy's playing a guy uh, character with eight charisma and they give a Gettysburg address, I'm still going to make them roll diplomacy. <laughs> you have your eight charisma, you know, he stumbles across the words or, you know, he salts it with some inappropriate language at the wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I hate to say this about the world, but you can sing the greatest aria ever sung. But if you're Quasimodo... A lot of people won't listen. Uh, that is that is not a nice thing about the world. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I am saying it's a true thing. Uh, you know, and it is reflected in game that if your character is notably uncharismatic, antisocial, or uh, you know, downright hard to get along with, uh, people don't take them seriously as you know the goody two shoes paladin. You know, with the or the eloquent diplomatic bard. Yeah, you know with those in charisma. Uh, that's. Those are good choices for party caller. Yep. Uh, and with that, I think that uh, we talked a little bit about note keeping, but just to put it out there as well, kind of wrap it up. Uh, one thing about note keeping that I've always found is that uh, experience points are probably the most essential thing to keep track of when you divvy them out at the end of each session, if appropriate. If not, remember what the running tally is by asking a player who's been mostly in attendance to every session. Uh, you know, just make sure that what your record is is as consistent with theirs. That way you know and can gauge what the flow of the game is going to be, especially when throwing more threats or designing new encounters. So you know how much experience points to be giving out, where it's going and all that, and where the players are in level in accordance to your game. Um, also, magic items... Yeah, they're important to keep track of, but if you can get somebody to help or just do a little uh, nice little thing like Chuck Doran said, you know, that is also great. So we'll definitely be using that, Chuck. We'll let you know on it. So thanks a lot for that. And also, if you didn't know who we were, we kind of skipped right into it. We were real eager to get chomping at the bit at this one this week. I'm Randy. And this is Mike. Yeah, and we're the Dicemen of the Dicer Screaming. And... Uh, we appreciate all the listens and the likes that you've been giving us. And also, if you need to get a hold of us, you can look us up on Facebook at The Dice Are Screaming. And of course, uh, we can get a hold of us on Twitter, me at DeathHand, that's D-E-T-H-A-N-D, Gaming at Twitter. And uh, Magi Vox, M-A-G-I-V-O-X, uh, at Twitter. Yeah, we always uh, respond to our messages. We haven't gotten any, but hey, if we do get any, we're ready for them. Oh, yeah, literally, you know, just we're perched like vultures, yeah, waiting. Like, you know, when the when the last breath leaves that rabbit, pow, we're on it. Yeah, <laughs> sweet carrion flesh of responses. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're all a quiver. Now, um, now we got that out of the way. We also want to talk a little bit about the Anchor Podcast family. We're part of the OSR, but uh, obviously, we play different games. Yeah. Mike runs first edition. I also run first edition, but I'm primarily a Pathfinder, Starfinder kind of cat. But uh, you know, one foot in the old, one foot in the new. Oh, not to mention uh, over the years we've had the there was the Warhammer Fantasy campaign. Oh yeah, we've run it from beginning to end. Shadowrun, uh, Rune Quest. Oh, we did Call uh, of Cthulhu. Oh, what was that? Uh, Dragonlance. A long time oh, ago, yeah, we yeah. ran through that a couple of times. Uh, Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, we've run the gamut, old and new, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, we never really cared, so, you know, I mean, while I, 
adopt the OSR mantle with a certain degree of pride. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't quite... It, if there's an impression that that means locked in in one's own, Oh no. no! 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 Not at all. Uh, I love my first. I love my one e. Uh, oh yeah. You know, and it and it's my favorite, mostly by virtue of experience, bias, and the largest number of old happy memories. Uh, but that's it. That's where that ends. Beyond that, oh, Deadlands. Oh yeah, Deadlands. Yeah. What? How did we forget that? Oh, that's yeah. great. Seven Seas. Oh, Seven Seas, yeah. Weird West. Uh-huh. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, those were those were some good campaigns. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, God, we got to dredge that up again. Yeah, we got to do that. I, I got a hankering all of a sudden to, you know, play the undead gunslinger for once. Mm-hmm. So, I think, oh, your Texas Ranger. Well, yeah, all right. The, you know, uh, Lightning Jack was uh, uh-huh. no slouch. No slouch in a gunfight, but uh, I I couldn't really get Eastwoody with him because, you know, he wasn't really meant to be like that. Yeah. Uh, whereas Undead Gunslinger, I'm totally going pale rider with oh, this. Yeah. I killed everything. <laughs> Walks, swims, oh. crawls, or flies. <laughs> Unforgiven style. We all got it coming, kid. All of us. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, that's who we are, and uh, that's what we do. And uh, just game, we have fun, and of course, we hope you all have fun. That's why we do this. And uh, you know, finally, our listener base is seemingly larger than both of us, so we appreciate that too. So keep those applauses and call-ins coming. We really appreciate it. And shout-outs to all you guys who's been added to us uh, on messages. So Chuck Doran, Larry Hamilton, Tim Short, thank you guys. And, yeah. Uh, tune into those guys. Uh, Let's see if I can get it right this time. Gothridge Manor from Tim Short. Nailed it, buddy. Yeah, I did. Uh, playing it wrong with C. Thorin. That's right. And Larry Hamilton, follow me and die. <laughs> Check those out. And also, Tenkar's Tavern and Old Man Grognard. Check those guys out. Glenn Holmstrom and uh, Eric Tenkar, of course. But uh, as it's Tuesday, we appreciate you guys listening on us. We come at you twice a week. So just uh, stick with us and we'll keep entertaining you. Yeah, but we'll... Be back again Friday. All right. So I think that'll do it for us. All right. Until we talk to you again, may may the the dice always roll in your favor. We're We're out. out.